there's going to be a new challenge every week that maybe I've never navigated before, or maybe I have, and we're going to use it as a discussion point to, to learn and grow and develop. And, and that's exactly what happened for me. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya and today my guest is Christine Lavery. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you on, Christine. Now, we've known each other for about two years now. Before we go back in time, tell us a little bit about where you are today, the company you're working for, and the role that you're in. Yes. So currently today, I am working at Typeform. It is a startup really focused on making wonderful experiences for our customers and their customers in terms of how they engage. So really thrilled to be here in the role of VP of customer success. Wonderful. And Typeform, everybody has virtually that's ever had a good experience filling out a form has been through Typeform. And I want to come back to that because I think it's really cool. And just the way that the organization approaches it is just, you know, kind of a little bit magical and it just feels like a good experience always. But before we do that, let's go back in time because you and I have known each other now for about two years, right? From the time of our recording here in kind of the middle of uh, 2022. And we initially got connected because the previous organization you were at was doing some work to transition from a, you know, one type of serving their customers to a SaaS model. And you were interviewing customer success consultants to help with this transition. Would you take us, share a little bit about what was going on inside the org at the time and what your role was, and then we'll get into what actually happened. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, previous company, you described it well, we were transitioning into the SaaS world and we actually had already been in that space for a little bit of time, but we were recognizing the need to really stand up a customer success function to support our customers in their usage of our product. And so at the time we we're like, wow, we really would love some expert guidance on how we would set up a a function essentially from scratch. We had knowledge from how to do more of a classic service approach and a service model, but we really wanted to create that best-in-class SaaS experience through, through CSMs. And so um, we were interviewing multiple different individuals and and programs, if you will, to to really figure out, like, 
What is it that we know we definitely need? Where are we gapped? And really trying to see who was coming to the table with ideas, thoughts, and perspectives so that we knew we could hit the ground running. So as you know, we said we needed to move fast. And (laughs) at first I remember you were saying, oh yeah, everybody says says that they want to move fast. They do, Um, yeah. <laughs> we did. We really we actually did. I, I do want to call out the fact that you actually like one. I was very thankful to get the selection to be the one to work with you all and help you build that customer success function inside of this newer SaaS part of the business because your business had been around for a long time, right? I mean, we're talking 20, 30 years. plus years. Okay. Yeah. And publicly years. traded, very large organization, thousands of people. And then this was a massive transition. What was going on inside the organization where, why this even occurred? What was the backdrop there? I mean, we were still supporting our our legacy platform. And so, and the legacy platform was very much on a managed service type approach. And so in terms of the organization, we needed to kind of shift our focus to make sure that we were still maintaining our, our current business the initial bread and butter that we had had for the 20 years while we were continuing to, to make this transition. So we, we had done a bit of a reorg to, to say from a top-down perspective, which I think is really important to have that top-down support of saying like customer success is something that we want to invest in. And so myself and um, a few other leaders were assigned to like go solve this problem. Like, be internal consultants, if you will, and you know, figure this out, make this work in um, the environment that we had there. And so we're like, all right, we know how we can navigate our internal environment, but we need some of that help external to make sure that we're not losing sight of what best in class truly looks like. Yeah, good. And okay, so in one of those first conversations, your VP at the time did say, like, we have to move fast. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like you said, everybody everybody tells me they have to move fast. And then when it comes time to actually doing it, it doesn't always happen. But it did in this case. And we moved incredibly fast. So give us a rundown of that time that you and I started working closely together with the leadership team. And it was only a matter of months before we had our first CS bootcamp and the first group of CSMs even to ever be in existence inside this company up and running. That's right. Yeah. So I think August is one is when internally as an organization, we said we need to focus on CS. And then by September, we were engaged with you in the form of different workshops, discovery sessions, really figuring out like, you know, what what do we want to look like? How do we want to present to our customers, et cetera, in the form of like that transformation we're providing. And so we're creating these, this high level view. We're also in the midst creating that, you know, that next level, level two, and then also creating the level three view, which I'm getting very specific here, but you know, these details were all the moving parts that we were working on. And this level three that I just mentioned was really a step-by-step guide that I could hand to any new joiner on my team and say, this is what it means to do customer success at, at previous company. And so at the same time, then I was looking at what's the volume of our business? What's the forecast growth of this business? How many people do we need? What's the right tiering model for um, the different size customers we'd be supporting? And then also hiring. 
All of this happened with us being locked on who the team would be by mid-December and then me working over like late December to create the boot camp so we could go live at the very beginning of January. So really setting up this entire like org, who we are, what we're going to be, who's going to be in the org from say September when we really started actively engaging with you to the very beginning of January. It was fast. I mean, that that's record time, especially when we're talking about from scratch. Right. And we're talking about organization that was going to exist in the future, but did not exist in the present. And the continued pressure from the organization saying, where are you? Because you had some regular readouts. I think it was every two weeks or every three weeks or something like that, where, you know, we were collaborating on what the readout was going to be. And I was helping to share my input to temper expectations, because as always, people get really excited when things are going to come, but they're not quite there yet. Would you share a little bit about what some of the workshops with me were like and what you experienced with the team, in particular, how I use frameworks as a way to guide the process and not just, you know, mandate this is how it gets done, which, you know, can happen from time to time. But my job is to be at a framework level and then combine that with your reality and put it, create something that's specific to you. Yes. Yeah. So this is one of the things that... I personally loved the most and then also was able to take myself into this uh, current role that I have. I learned pretty quickly from it. I thought it was awesome. But on a very specific level, one of the things that I loved is being able to like sit down and understand what good looks like for a business. So I loved the way that we really thought about it in three questions, like, What does a gold standard customer look like to us? If I were the buyer, what would I be looking out of or for or from this business? And the third is, you know, what does it look like when a customer does retain? And one in three, sometimes people are like, that's the same question. And I'm like, not necessarily. And then you start seeing as we answer these questions very, very openly we started to see themes emerge amongst these characteristics. And from there, you guided us to, you know, take these themes. And that became the baseline, if you will, for how we then created the milestones. And I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but if we know by answering those three key questions, what great looks like, we should be able to set the stage for that transformational journey that we want to take all the customers on so they also can look like those customers we described in answering those three questions. And so you came with that framework, but it was up to us to answer the questions to provide our degree of the personalization to it and mold it to our environment. And I just... That methodology is amazing. And like I said, I've been using it now with my new role here at Typeform and it's resonating with my team here as well. And it's, it's just been incredible. And that's the most satisfying, greatest part of this for me too, is seeing your growth and development because you were in the director seat at this previous company, right? You're working for the VP, you're with other directors and senior directors um, inside of, again, very large established organization. And I had told, I had, I had made the mention to either the group as a whole or just to your VP at the beginning. I said, well, if I were to come in and do this and just do this for you, 
everything would leave when I left. And that's not my job. My job is to impart this framework and impart this structure and this experience so that your team can grab a hold of it and you become exponentially more valuable as you go because now you can take this and use it again because this is not going to be the only time you solve this problem. It's not going to be the only time you think about your customers and, and want to redefine how you're going to serve them at the highest level. And to see that you've taken the framework and then applied it yourself and run your own workshops at your new company is just hugely satisfying. I just want to say, you know, congrats on taking full control of that and bringing it in because that's 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 what this that's what my work is all about is empowering individuals like you. And when you take it, the sky's the limit, right? Now you're in a VP level seat and able to have a completely different approach to how you entered this organization. Yes. And I mean, in terms of like my personal growth, obviously I'm very thankful for this. Put in the work to get there. It wasn't easy. But this this story, this creative journey that I've had the opportunity to be on with you as a part of CS served me well as I was having, you know, case study interviews for this role. So it was applicable. It resonated. Like I saw light bulbs go off, not only with my team when I was using it, but also as I was going through my own personal interview process, it was resonating with folks. And it's a testament to a great framework. So a great framework and digging in and taking control, right? Because I've taught this framework to lots and lots of people. Not everybody grabs hold and, and takes it to the next level, but it's there. It's it's possible. So let's talk a little bit about the from the the number of employees. So we had we had zero in this organization. In the beginning it was just the leadership team coming together. We designed the entire foundational pieces of a customer success organization. Then you hired, I think it was 18 people internally from the inside of the organization to be the very first group of CSMs that we ran that two-week boot camp to in the beginning of January that year, right? How many CSMs did you grow to over the course of, I think it was 12 or 15 months? What number were we were you at, at the by the end of that period? In I think it was around 15 months. It was uh, 80 CSMs. Okay, so we went from zero, spent three months-ish building foundation, building a boot camp, took 18 new CSMs through it, got them you know, certified and they knew what to do. And then they went out into the customer world and started engaging according to the framework and everything that we set up. And 15 months later, there were 80, 80 CSMs. So tell us a little bit about just the, you know, how to manage that level of growth and scale because that is nothing short of exceptional. It doesn't happen every day. But inside your organization, I mean, your book of business in the SaaS world as customers were transitioning to this new model was significant. And how did you just manage that growth through that time period? So I, I'd say it's a combination of things. One is more the operator side. Well, at the end of the day, it's all related to the operator side. But really, I had to break it down into two things. One, to be an operator, to really work with my finance team, understand the growth that we were forecasting, and then align my headcount model accordingly. To even get to that point, we did some very basic time to task type activities. So we took the framework that we had created, the one that we just spoke about and said, how long would it take a CSM to execute this at our different tiers? And we used that to then create our model of how many CSMs, what would the headcount be to support as we have this forecasted growth? So very much a math exercise 
you know, all with partnership with the finance team um, to make sure it wasn't um, creating any problems from a margin perspective, but also making sure we could still support our customers in the way that, that we had initially designed. The, the second part about this is making sure that the leadership had faith that the model that we created was effective. And so I'm sure many have been in a, in a situation where it's like, yeah, well, why do you actually need that many people? I see we're growing, but why do you need that? And so my job, really the other part of the, the operator equation was really showcasing with data that what we were doing was working. And so it made sense to continue to have this degree of investment in this space because the data was proving that it worked. On that data piece, can you share just, you know, a KPI or a metric or something you were tracking that helped you to tell that story that it was working? What I know you went deep and you had an incredible operational function by the end of this 15 month time horizon we're talking about. But what were some of the things that were tracking that really helped you tell a great story? Interestingly, I got a lot of pressure to show results from a lagging indicator perspective right away. I'm sure we've all been there and know that it takes some time to, to get there. And so I was focused um, very much so on some leading indicators, a lot, to be honest. But the two that were that I was showcasing the most, the first one was around adoption of our platform. So when before this program had started, um, based on the definition of a, a power user of, of our software, we were sitting at around 19% as power users. And they, we grew uh, very quickly. We got it up to 50% after we had kicked off the program. And then further, I I think like six months later, we had grew that even more to like 59 or 60%. And this is, again, assuming that our definition of power user, of course, was correct and accurate, but that was pretty powerful. But the one that I loved even more was when we were using our health score. So we have pretty powerful health score, great partnership with the CX team, um, amazing partnership with the CX team. And we were able to showcase that if the metric, let's say it were yellow in a health score, if we took a prescribed action, we could move that customer to green. And we showed that we could do that for two of the metrics, 85% of the time. And that was really cool and compelling. The other cool part is for a third metric, we saw that it worked like 50% of the time. And you know what? It told me that I needed to adjust something over there. So we got both sides of it. So that really enabled that and the combination of the power usage one, or excuse me, power user one really were some of the compelling data points that we use to say, hey, what we're doing is working. Mm -hmm. so. And I remember some of the early discussions. So it was like, so we launched the team in, in January and then it was about April or so. I think the, the mandate came back like, when's our churn going to improve, right? The lagging indicator. And the question I know every CS leader and every CS person listening to this has gotten, when's the churn going to improve, right? Just had a conversation with the CCO. They said, I'm right in that bucket. I'm doing great things. They're good things. But, you know, until the, the major metrics change, there's still going to be skepticism. So how did you push back on that? Uh, in that situation where you were taking the right action and it took longer to get to these metrics we just shared. But early on, everybody was so excited that this function exists. They almost wanted to just say, okay, magic wand, 
you should fix churn now that there's a CS org, right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it, it's all about expectation management. And there's definitely a, there definitely was a healthy tension here. And so with partnership with my VP, we spent a lot of time, as well as with you, a lot of time on telling our story in a framework as well, and really just focusing on these are the key things that we're doing. These are the key leading indicators that we're trying to drive progress on. And at some point, it's really just setting that expectation around, you know, if you think about many of these customers, if they're coming up for renewal in a month, they've only had a CSM for a month. The opportunity to really impact change for them is limited. They've likely made their decision up already. Similarly, some of these customers, when we're talking in the large enterprise space, if, even if we're six months away from renewal, many of them have also already made up their decisions. So there is a little bit of like resetting those expectations, not only with metrics, but also like really painting the reality of what it means to be able to influence change on the customer side within one month, six months versus having a full year to do that. Yeah. So still, it was fun. Expectation management, right? At the core. Okay. So let's go to the, when the lagging indicators did improve and 15 months down the line after the creation and those first 18 brave CSMs um, started taking on the role. 15 months later, what were the results? So pretty amazing. So it really was going back to the point that I just made, having that full year of influence on those accounts really made a huge difference. So we were able to increase um, our GRR from a year, year over year perspective by eight total percentage points. I mean, I was so proud of that. I mean, so hang on, your gross revenue retention increased by eight percentage points year over year after implementing this system and running a team of 80 CSMs across your entire customer base. Yes. And I should say that was the forecast because I unfortunately didn't get to see the full number um, until I went to this new position, but that was the forecast. I'm like... I, I mean, I celebrated. Heck yes. Like, yeah, you deserve that, right? You made it happen. And and that's my job is always to be the guide. But you did the <laughs> you did the hard work, right? You put in the hard yards, the relationships internally, the expectation management, running a team of 80, which was no small feat at somewhere about halfway through your VP left the organization and you ran the entire show for the next six or 12 months before you ended up making the split. So you did, you did incredible well, and then had this amazing result. But at the end of that was an opportunity that became presented to go become the VP of CS at Typeform. So tell us a little bit about the, the transition there and you know what you were thinking from, a, okay, I'm a director level. I stood this up from scratch. And what was pushing you to go to the next level for you in your career? So, you know, there was a, a combination of different things that I was looking at from a career development perspective. Um, first, I feel like I've really found my passion with customer success. Um, everybody asks, like, what's your five-year plan? What do you want to do? And like, I know that I like to solve problems and I do like you know, being an operator. And then as I learned and grew about customer success, I'm like, this, this is it. This is what I want to do. That first and foremost helped me a lot. And understanding and looking at that next logical step was to be um, a VP of customer success. 
and, you know, and looking at what type form offered in the form of an opportunity to build again, because I like, I do like building. I love to problem solve. Um, that was really attractive to me. And also the opportunity to try something completely new. I had not been in the startup ecosystem before. I had always worked for outside of a, a short time. I'd always worked for large publicly traded companies. This was an opportunity for me to, you know, hone my CS skills, hone my builder skills, and also try something a little bit new in the startup ecosystem. So just really happy to have been able to make that happen and, and doing it now. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. And during the time of the previous organization, as you were building that, you joined my leadership coaching program, and we got to work together for the better part of that, a large part of that 15 months um, post-launch uh, from a leadership coaching capacity, not just a customer success consulting and kind of guiding the nuts and bolts. But then you began to take on a whole new set of challenges with now managing um, managers and managing directors because your organization grew so fast and would love to hear a little bit of what your um, experience was like going through that coaching program with me and what, it, what you learned and what you took away. And we'll talk a little bit about the experience. Yeah, so I learned a lot. I think for me, I, I, I'd led teams before, um, but this is the first time I had been leading a team with such hyper growth. And so with that becomes different degrees of challenges. That on top of, you know, being a mom to young kids and being in this work from home environment where no one is traveling anywhere, the demands are crazy. And because nobody's traveling anywhere or at all, you know, you're in meetings or people want you to be in meetings from like eight to five nonstop. And so there's a lot of conflict that was happening on the personal level. This leadership coaching really enabled me to have um, first, opportunities to ask questions, not just about things happening in the CS space, but how to navigate particular leadership challenges, leverage frameworks to help me uh, navigate situations. One of the things that you were amazing at was helping like me take a step back sometimes and like, th like think about it for a second. And like do better calendar management. I was pretty good at it before, but I wasn't great at it. I know I'm kind of going in all these different ways, but there there were a lot of very, very good like coaching items that you gave to me that I then had to put in the work myself to put into practice and the opportunity to come back around and essentially report back on what went well or what didn't well, go well was that degree of accountability that I needed to make these, these coaching items habits instead of like one and done, I tried it and <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Fleeting strategies that might seem cool, but then they disappear because they just don't become part of the routine. 
That's right. And I, I was always impressed with how well you always took what we discussed, went deep on it, put it into action, and then always came back with the result and other questions about where it didn't work and what could be done. You were always pushing the envelope. Those are the absolute 100% best type of people that I love to work with from a leadership coaching perspective because it's the onus is on the individual. My job is to be the coach and to be the guide and to help you see the things, just like whether we're talking calendar management, whether we're talking coaching skills, whether we're talking communication and building frameworks. I have all the constructs and all the tools, but I can't put them in place for you or for anybody, right? And so to see someone like you take hold of all of those and then turn it into something that is your own and then get the results out of it, I mean, that was just, you know, made my year. <laughs> yes. I mean, the other thing we didn't hadn't even touched on yet is you really helped me with the brand of like who I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up, not just in an interview type scenario, but who do I represent when I'm working within my organization? And again, very methodical in the approach. And it just, it, worked well for me and the the logical steps that we took like oh yeah there's natural grouping here too this is who i am this is what i want to represent about myself for me personally like obviously i've gotten to the next point in my career but there's a degree of confidence that comes with that as well in representing my true brand companies do the same thing for themselves so i should do it for Why myself not? Right. And as you progress, right, in from a leadership perspective, that element of brand building and what I call marketing your leadership has to continuously increase and evolve and expand as you go up to higher and higher levels of responsibility. So when you're an individual contributor, your brand is 100% controlled by you. You You are it. It's all about you. But when you become a manager and then become a director, You have to be able to talk intelligently and in a way that anybody can understand all the incredible value that you and your team are delivering. And that's usually where a lot of leaders get hung up. And sadly, most times when people think about this, the only time they do is before an interview (laughs) when they're going to transition jobs because they're so in the moment and in the day to day, which is great and is necessary. But they don't often take a step back to say, wait a second, how can I communicate this incredible value that my team is delivering in a way that anybody can understand so that people know more about me and more about my value as a leader? Because that's a really important piece if I want to get to the next level, right? And you did that exceptionally well. So again, I have the tools, but you took action. That is the underlying single most important thing. If anybody out there is thinking about leadership coaching, whether it's me or somebody else, doesn't matter. Right. Know that leadership coaches do not do anything for you if you are not willing to take action. Right? And it is 100% a gigantic waste of time and effort and energy and money. Don't do it if you're not willing to take action. However, if you need the tools and you need the guidance and you need the support and you need the accountability and you know that somebody else who has been through what you want to go through has already done it and laid out a map for you and you're willing to take action, Sky's the limit, just like we're talking about here, going from director to VP. Yes. And the thing that I, I would add to that, it's the like the acknowledgement as, as a human being that you don't know everything and that's fine. And it, if you leave the ego on the side and are just open to learning, it's like light bulb moment left and right. And it, then you become better. 
and that's, I think for me, I came into the conversation knowing that I shouldn't say conversation because it wasn't just one. They were many. Uh, I came in knowing that like, there's going to be a new challenge every week that maybe I've never navigated before, or maybe I have, and we're going to use it as a discussion point to, to learn and grow and develop. And, and that's exactly what happened for me. I embody this myself. So I have a coach as well. Some at various points, I have multiple coaches because I accept that I don't know everything either. And I am constantly pushing myself to acquire new tools and new skill sets and new mindsets and new things that I can then use and figure out how they work for me and figure out maybe they will benefit my clients as well. So this doesn't just stop once you become a coach, like you don't ever stop, right? It's just the continuous improvement mindset that's so important. And you, when you find an individual like Christine, who is continuously improving in all areas, it's no surprise that you end up in a VP seat in a relatively short period of time, having had relatively little exposure to the world of CS, you know, a few years ago. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Christine, let's talk a little bit about your when you joined up with Typeform, right? So now this is the first time you've been at the VP level and you came into this organization with a certain level of understanding and tell us about what that entry was like and you know, did you feel like do you feel any imposter syndrome or perhaps a little nervous about is this stuff I did at this company going to work at this company? Tell us a little bit about the transition into the VP seat. So I would say I definitely was a little bit nervous. I don't know if it was because of the position itself or because of just being in a new environment and having to restart my brand and rework on my network. And, and there's effort and work that goes into doing that. So I was definitely feeling a little nervous there. I was very confident in my like CS abilities. So... Um, surprisingly, I, I have not felt much of the imposter syndrome at all, because I think in the back of my mind, I've reminded myself of the work that I've done to get here and that the fact that like I, I deserve this. And I know that like I have worked hard and I, I will give it my absolute best to be successful. And I am confident in my abilities to do that. And I think some of that has really just helped that imposter syndrome not really be a thing, which is awesome, to be honest, because I remember being right out of college and my first role um, as an analyst, I'm like, why am I here? <laughs> why are they paying me to do this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that professional confidence has been built over those years. So. Yes. yes. I, well, I remember we talked a lot about if we boil leadership down to simple elemental levels, one of the key things is that leaders do is solve problems. And we had numerous conversations around this during our coaching calls about what does it mean to solve a problem and what things classify as problems and what do you really need to focus on as a leader? And I would love to hear your thoughts on this now after having you know gone through and spent a lot of time around this. What do you think of problems now and how do you approach them versus maybe how you did a couple of years ago? Yes. So this is one of my favorite topics, actually. I felt previously that if I were approached with a problem, I had to know the answer to it and I had to be accountable for solving it. That mind shift has changed a lot. 
And it's never more evident than when you start at a company. When you're new, you can't claim to know the answers to everything or know, really, like you might be a subject matter expert in your particular space, but how that particular space will interact with a new organization, you can't pretend to know all that. You have to figure that out. So so for me, that problem solving mindset has changed completely in the form of I don't have to have the answers for everything. I will gladly collaborate and work on an answer together. Um, If someone comes to me with a particular problem, I will ask their thoughts and their opinions on it so we can come to a solution together. And that has been a very freeing feeling as a leader. And it's also, not only is it freeing for me and kind of removes some of the stress and weight off my shoulders, it also is an amazing like coaching tool for developing your own people. Now they feel like they have an opportunity to have their voice be heard and be creative together with hopefully someone that they they respect and want to work with. And so that mind, mind shift for me has been immensely just amazing for my my development and hopefully my team's development too, because they get to be on the flip side of that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And we see it in, in your teams. I'm still doing, have done a little bit of work with your previous team um, after you left the organization. And then we're working on doing work together again. And I know that impact and have seen that myself, which is why I'm so passionate about helping other leaders discover that. And you, you called out the two most important pieces in anything from a kind of conceptually understanding and teaching perspective when it comes to leadership leadership is that there's a psychology side and there's a tactics side. And if you have the psychology right, but you don't have the tactics, you're going to have great the right mindset, but you're not going to make much progress. If you have the right tactics and you don't have the right psychology, the change won't last. But if you have the right psychology and not having the answers, you have the right tactics, which are specific tools that I teach in how to have use coaching skills in order to have deeper and more meaningful conversations, then everything works and it can become incredibly powerful. And to this day is still one of the most powerful tools I have in my leadership toolbox as well. Having gone through the coach training program I did over 10 years ago to learn how to become a leadership coach was a fascinating experience. And it is one of the most powerful things I've ever had. And it brings me tremendous joy to be able to share them with people like you who take it to heart and then put it into action and then get massive results and relieve the pressure. Like that's, it's on, on your shoulders. Yes, it feels <laughs> so good. It's the most counterintuitive piece, I think, to leadership that there is, that transition from having thinking you have to have all the answers to not having all the answers. So what do you think about problems today? When problems, you know, you get them in the morning, you know there's going to be problems. Like, what do you think about them? I'm not stressed. I think that's the biggest one. Like, they're going to happen. And we're going to work through them. And the point that we haven't really touched on yet is there's facts associated with that problem. And we are going to make decisions based on what we know. And that decision may be to go forward, like go do this. Or that decision may be, we don't have enough information. So let's try to gather some more and think about it further. And so that also takes and strips out the emotion component of it as well. And just makes it a lot easier to navigate. I really am, I don't stress about it. Problems are going to happen. 
and this you don't stress about it now, but did you stress about it before? <laughs> yes. And and to what level of stress would you carry when there was a problem or you couldn't work through it or you didn't know the answer? How did it affect you? Too much stress is what happened. And uh, yeah, my mind was just always thinking about work. I just didn't feel like I was necessarily present in the moments the way I necessarily wanted to be. Um, and it just wasn't healthy, wasn't sustainable. That's, I think, the key is that that degree of stress from all these things that are wrong that was swirling around, it was not a sustainable feeling. And um, being able to tackle this with the coaching that you provided and putting some of these things into action has made um, things feel sustainable, feels like you can handle them. Um, and, and I think given what so many people are going through when it comes from a... Um, just everything that happened with COVID, getting to a point where you don't feel that overwhelm is a pretty incredible achievement. Because leadership, we've talked about this at length, leadership is a long-term game, right? And if you don't have the stamina and you don't have the systems and the tools that are going to support you for the long-term, you can end up just like where Christine was headed. And I've been there too, stressed out, burned out, not present, can't listen, can't hear, ignoring family, ignoring health, name any other not good thing, and it's probably on the list, right? But you heard that tremendous transformation. Christine got access to coaching. She got access to tools. She found out what worked for her in a way that felt authentic and real for her. It wasn't just a cookie cutter, you do this and ABC. It was, this is a tool, let's talk about how it applies figure out how it applies to your specific situation. And then you got results and now it's sustainable. And, you know, problems are no big thing. They're not causing you stress to the level that they did before. Well, and that's what I liked about the the approach. I mean, you mentioned those items, but the the key is like the, to being able to practice and then come back and talk about it and learn from either what went great from it or what didn't go great from it. And then continue to tweak to like your authentic self is really where it became the most empowering for me. And so I love those opportunities to, and I say this with my team now, any type of coaching that you can get that has a sustained degree of like check-in and accountability is the most powerful type because this isn't a, you're going to do it in one day and all of a sudden things are going to be magical and rosy and perfect. It takes sustained determination on your part to turn this into true habits. That's right. That's right. And the true habits are what we're after because that will support us throughout our entire career. And we can be successful in any position. I mean, you could be a VP in a very fast growing organization and not feel stress. Imagine that. <laughs> for a moment, right? Whereas I know I've been a VP in a fast growing organization and I felt tons of stress. I've gone up and down and through the ringer and that's why I do what I do today to help share some of those learnings and the tools and things that helped me get through this because I've invested hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of my own money to figure out the best coaching and the best things that help me and then turn this into things that I can help my clients with. And bringing that to the surface and you hit on a couple key things from a leadership coaching perspective. Number one is the access to tools, right? So tools in across a leadership is a big, broad area, but there are very specific core foundational elements that are critically important. Uh, in my world, they fall under the leading yourself, leading others, leading with communications and leading with metrics, which are the core four pillars in my book. And so one is the tools. 
Number two is the coaching and having access to a coach to be able to ask questions and get answers on the biggest challenges that you're facing. Because some of them are specific and unique to you, and some of them are might be similar to what other people are going through. And number three is a community, right? So being able to connect with peers who are going through similar situations is incredibly powerful. And it's for this reason that all of those things together drive a massive amount of accountability as long as you, the individual, are willing to take the effort, just like you have done, Christine. And that's why I built the B2B Leaders Academy around those core pillars where we have access to tools. And I take you through the step-by-step guidance. Many of the things you've heard Christine and I talk about today, we've got the community piece and the access to coaching. We meet on a regular basis and we can have discussions and small group leadership masterminds to get the best ideas from a very diverse group of leaders across the world so that everybody can make consistent progress and get to the point just like where Christine is. So Christine, bringing things to a conclusion here, if you could share just a sentiment or takeaway of somebody thinking about joining the B2B Leaders Academy or working with me as a leadership coach, what uh, would you share with them from based on your experience? What would you recommend? I obviously had to put in the work, but I credit a lot of my successes to the opportunity that I had to work with you. And so I am thankful to my previous uh, VP for enabling the opportunity for me to work with you, for also enabling me to find ways to get my managers at my previous company involved with you. Um, and I think the greatest testament to something working is being a repeat customer. And I, you mentioned it already. We're in the final you know, conversations of doing some other things together at, at Typeform. And I mean, that's the greatest compliment is to being able to, to work together again. And so, so, yeah, there's that. And then, of course, like, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am without the coaching that you provided me, hands down. I had to do the work, no doubt, but it was your guidance that helped me helped me get here. So I'm very, very thankful for that. Hey, and I'm thankful to have had the opportunity to work with such a driven, incredibly capable professional like you, who literally came to the table every single week and every single time we met and with questions, with ideas, with thoughts, with concerns, with problems and took action on all the tools we discussed, put it into place, and then came back for more to figure out how to accelerate. And that's exactly what we did, right? And so you were just a model person for me to work with. There's others out there who feel like you're like Christine, perhaps where she was before at director level or even at the manager level. You want to be like Christine? I highly encourage it. Um, We should start the hashtag, be like Christine. (laughs) 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 maybe we'll put that in the show notes in case it's scary (laughs) (laughs) all good all good well christine thank you so much for sharing your experience and our work together i really appreciate you coming on the show i know people get a tremendous amount out of this podcast and learn more about how to grow your career from a leadership perspective and just how to make a program work for you if you'd be interested in finding out more about coaching with me Check out the B2B Leaders Academy. You can go to the letter B, the number two, the letter B, leadersacademy.com, or you can download a free digital copy of my best-selling book at 3030dayleadership.com forward slash book. It was wonderful to spend time with you, Christine. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon. Yes, thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.